Welcome to the Latter-day Freeman Podcast, a podcast dedicated to building a movement of Latter-day Saints united in defense of the principles of freedom and our inspired constitution. I am your host, Jacob Hibbert, and I'm joined as I am each week by my fellow Freeman, by Jeremy Anderson. And this week we have a special guest with us, Aaron Bullen from Pro-Life Utah. Welcome, Jeremy, and welcome, Aaron. Thank you so much for being with us this, this evening. Thank you. All right, Aaron. So like I said, you're from Pro-Life Utah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, about, your, about your background and a little bit about Pro-Life Utah and what it does in our state? So I started volunteering with Pro-Life Utah about three years ago. I had actually just uh, come off uh, helping with an unsuccessful political campaign. And I decided that uh, political campaigns were worth jack squat and I didn't like them anymore. And I wanted to do something that was worthwhile. And I had actually become aware of Pro-Life Utah during that campaign. I was trying to promote my candidate as a more pro-life candidate than the other one. And uh, so I you know, asked for their endorsement and they said, oh, we're a 501c3, we're a charity. And so we, we can't do that. But anyway, I just uh, found out when their meetings were and I just uh, sh- showed up to a meeting and said, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready. I wanna, I wanna save babies. And they said, well, uh, put yourself in charge of something. And I became one of the directors and the rest, the rest is history. Uh, when you're a volunteer organization, uh, you know, people who are willing and competent are sometimes few and far between. And so you take what you can get. And apparently I was what they could get at the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so what, uh, what is Pro-Life Utah's mission? What, do you, what services or actions do you all take here in Utah? So our mission is to help women uh, to choose life. And by, by help, I mean we, we find abortion-minded women and we want to take the fear that is driving them to consider taking the life of their child. We want to take that fear away so that they can feel, you know, that, that motherly instinct, that they can know that God is there to uh, help them through um, this, this situation and that, you know, that he's the author of, of that pregnancy and uh, her life. And so we do that in a, a myriad of ways, uh, mostly just, just money. <laughs> we we uh, tell them that we uh, have money up front uh, to to help them with initial expenses, uh, but we have people doing everything from, you know, housing um, to uh, career development, uh, writing resumes, finding a job, getting into school, um, you know, everything at as low of a cost as we can find it because it's you know our money and we're we're not uh rolling in it unfortunately (laughs) but but we do have some generous donors and we're we're able to provide these women with the necessities uh, of life um at least until they are self-reliant which is which is the goal that's amazing and i do some part-time work myself for um, a pro-life organization called let them live and we do similar provide similar services and one of the things that we've been able to find through research is that 73 percent of women who have abortions, have them due to financial burden or concerns about finances. And 
I don't, I don't think enough people talk about that. Usually when we think about abortion, it's um, very much focused on the act and a little bit less on what are the driving uh, motivators behind that decision. And, and I hope that tonight was we have our discussion about the issue of abortion, we can kind of address some of the concerns, some of the ideas and issues driving uh, the debate around this issue, and hopefully shed some of the gospel light on it as well. But just open up to both you and, and Jeremy, Aaron, uh, why do you think there is so much contention around the topic of abortion? When you actually look at the procedure itself and how it goes, it's pretty unpleasant. So you'd think that, you know, you might imagine that that's a pretty straightforward thing that, that people would have opposed, but it is a hotly contested issue. Uh, why do you guys feel that that's the case? So for me, um, I feel like it's rooted in um, just the fundamental difference between men and women. Um, when it comes to childbearing and child rearing, women naturally have a greater role in that, especially the childbearing portion of it. There's, there's not really any way around that, that um, women are going to take the, the brunt of that responsibility. And um, it, it leads to a situation where women have um, kind of this extra responsibility in their life and they sometimes watch men just walk away from it. So you have a lot of women that maybe get pregnant and then the man that, that they got pregnant with walks out and doesn't help, doesn't take care of it. Or they have kids and then you know a year or two in, he walks away. And this has been going on since we've had society. Um, and so there's this sense of, it's just not fair. I can't walk away from this child and yet here he is walking away. And so when abortion comes on the scene and, and you have this option to, hey, I can now have that same choice. It's this basic idea that, oh, well, it's just not fair for me to have this added responsibility. I think that's where a lot of it comes from. That's a really interesting concept. And, and that's one of the main ways that I feel abortion has been sold. Uh, since it was something that occurred, um, that it is somehow an, an equalizer, you know, definitely different feminist movements has, have pushed that as something that uh, will make them equal to a man. Obviously, we think about that as equal to a man in a very negative, terrible way, because none of us would strive to be a man like that. And, you know, having dealt with uh, many of these men myself, I, I can tell you that they uh, won't let me interact with them directly because they know how uh, frustrated I am with them <laughs> for <laughs> for being deadbeat dads. And, and so uh, I, I don't uh, need to give them uh, a scolding. Um, but yeah, I think some of these, some of these arguments drive a wedge. And one of them is that of equality. Um, another one might be that of, you know, bodily autonomy that, you know, I, I created this, this child in my womb, I have, I have control over it. 
and whether or not my body, you know, provides for this child. And therefore I have every right to uh, eliminate this, this child or what sometimes is referred to, you know, as a clump of cells, which obviously makes it, you know, easier uh, for them to, to justify it. But uh, yeah, that of equality and that of, um, I should be able to, you know, control what my, what my body is doing. Um, I think those are some of the main uh, things that make it very contentious. If you, if you grab hold of one of those principles, um, then it, it, it's hard to let them go, just as it's hard for us to let go of some of the, you know, principles on the other side of thou shall not kill. Um, and it, it's hard for us to get around that, so. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the controversy around abortion comes to the fact that the issue of abortion itself strikes to the heart of some very core key foundational principles and where you end up on that principle will shape your view on abortion. And so like the question of what is life, what are rights, uh, the concept and value of innocent life or body autonomy, like these are all such core basic ideas and abortion touches them. And I think that when you see an issue so intimately touch those issues, such as, like I said, the beginning of life, the value of life, uh, what is murder? What is not murder? What do we have the rights to do with our, with our bodies and these intimate parts of our lives? Because it's so foundational, it can't help but be contentious and controversial because where you end up on those key questions leads to a lot of different dramatic, potentially dramatically different areas or different outcomes. Let's quickly touch on what is the church and the, the gospel perspective on the issue of abortion. And a quote that struck out to me um, in 2018 in his talk, Truth in the Plan, uh, President Oaks, then Elder Oaks, said, mortal life is sacred to us. Our commitment to God's plan requires us to oppose abortion. Uh, President Nelson in uh, 1985, when he was Elder Nelson, said, Now, as a servant of the Lord, I dutifully warn those who advocate and practice abortion that they incur the wrath of Almighty God, who declared, If men hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, he shall be surely, surely punished. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has consistently opposed the practice of abortion. 100 years ago, the First Presidency wrote, and we, take, and we again take this opportunity of warning the Latter-day Saints against those practices of foeticide and infanticide. Early in his presidency, our beloved president, Spencer W. Kimball, said, we decry abortions and ask our people to refrain from the serious transgression. Um, you can also find other quotes from like President Hinckley calling abortion an evil that's stark and real and repugnant. So the, it's very much condemning. So clearly, I think we, we all agree the church has a very strong strong opposition to abortion per se, um, with potential um, exceptions, but not, not um, automatic exemptions in any way. So having established that as a baseline, uh, we wanted to look at some of the arguments that are made in today's society about abortion and, and take the opportunity to respond to them from a gospel perspective. And to kind of begin that, to start that off, uh, we wanted to, to listen to a valid Victorian speech from Lake Highlands High School in Texas. Uh, the valid Victorian, her name is Paxton Smith. 
And she took the opportunity at her graduation when she was addressing her classmates to touch on the issue of abortion. And we're going to take the opportunity to let you all listen with us. And then we're going to react or respond. But uh, let's listen now to Paxton's speech. As we leave high school, we need to make our voices heard. Today, I was going to talk about TV and media and content because it's something that's very important to me. However, under light of recent events, it feels wrong to talk about anything but what is currently affecting me and millions of other women in the state. Recently, the heartbeat bill was passed in Texas. Starting in September, there will be a ban on abortions after six weeks of pregnancy, regardless of whether the pregnancy was a result of rape or incest. Six weeks. That's all women get. And so before they realize, most of them don't realize that they're pregnant by six weeks. So before they have a chance to decide if they are emotionally, physically, and financially stable enough to carry out a full-term pregnancy, before they have the chance to decide if they can take on the responsibility of bringing another human being into the world, that decision is made for them by a stranger. A decision that will affect the rest of their lives is made by a stranger. I have dreams and hopes and ambitions. Every girl graduating today does. And we have spent our entire lives working towards our future. And without our input and without our consent, our control over that future has been stripped away from us. I am terrified that if my contraceptives fail, I am terrified that if I am raped, then my hopes and aspirations and dreams and efforts for my future will no longer matter. I hope that you can feel how gut-wrenching that is. I hope you can feel how dehumanizing it is to have the autonomy over your own body taken away from you. And I'm talking about this today, on a day as important as this on a day honoring 12 years of hard academic work, on a day where we are all gathered together, on a day where you are most inclined to listen to a voice like mine, a woman's voice, to tell you that this is a problem, and it's a problem that cannot wait. And I cannot give up this platform to promote complacency and peace when there is a war on my body and a war on my rights a war on the rights of your mothers, a war on the rights of your sisters, a war on the rights of your daughters. We cannot stay silent. Thank you. Your reaction to Paxton's valedictorian speech. I have a quote um, from Elder Anderson. He says, for us, these decisions go well beyond just what a person wants for his or her own life. For me, that is the biggest um, issue, I guess, difference between the pro-life and the pro-choice um, proponents is when we talk about life, it's much more than just the life that's going on right now in immortality. It's just as important the things that happened before we came to earth 
and the things that are going to happen after we come to earth. And so I feel like Paxton is really channeling both of the, the um, reasons that Aaron gave earlier for the pro-choice platform of this idea of unfairness. It's not fair that I don't get to make a decision about my future and then, and somebody else is going to make it for me. And also this idea of, of bodily autonomy. And, you know, I, I have control over my body and I get to decide. Um, and it goes back to a, a lack of understanding the plan of salvation. Yeah, I absolutely uh, agree with you there. And I think where faith really helps us is the perspective that life is of infinite value and that it comes to us from God, from our divine creator. Um, that really helps us value every single life, uh, not only our, our own and, and knowing, you know, the potential of each one of those lives and our own life that, you know, we, uh, may dwell with God in the celestial kingdom and, you know, that everyone else has that potential too. Um, that also drives us to, you know, protect life, uh, to, I guess, address some of, you know, her arguments. Uh, it, it's really quite sad as, as you listen to it because she has been made to believe that, uh, her, uh, reaching her dreams and her full potential, is based on the possibility of her being able to uh, kill a child uh, that she created. And that, that is very sad. It's something that we uh, in the pro-life movement need to, need to fight against because that's absolutely not true. Um, even if a woman is pregnant unexpectedly, I know that they can reach their full potential in their dreams because I've seen it. I've seen it um, as women uh, get the help of pro-life Utah and I've seen it um, just, you know, at, at a larger scale, you, you hear the stories after the fact, but um, of people succeeding, um, people succeeding, uh, you know, it, in spite of having these unexpected uh, pregnancies and, uh, you know, she mentioned having control over her future, um, that she has this loss of control over her future, which is, I feel like a, a lie that society tells us uh, that um, your future is basically over if uh, you conceive a child. If you're a girl, especially a young girl, that you will have to drop out of college not true that you will not be able to reach you know your aspirations career-wise not true um will it make it i guess more you know quote unquote difficult yes but it will also make your life infinitely more fulfilling uh, than than your life would have been otherwise um, i also think of the concept of control in the aspect that uh, we do control our actions. And I think this is a big part of what we all believe is that um, she talked about uh, her contraception and uh, you know, if it, if it fails, 
then she might get pregnant or, you know, unfortunately, often people decide not to use, you know, contraception and uh, have an unexpected pregnancy that way. Uh, but I feel like every time we choose to engage in the act of procreation, that uh, creating a new life is possible. And I think that realizing that is, is very important. And in today's society, we tell people, we tell people that uh, they actually can have consequence free um, uh, sexual relationships with other people that uh, the, uh, you know, sexual relationships are not for making children, they're only for your own personal fulfillment, and that you should be able to engage in that activity as much as you want, whenever you want, uh, without expecting to ever uh, have a pregnancy, which um, it, it's not true. I, I think teaching people that, yeah, contraception does fail, uh, you know, a percentage of the time, um, and it will always be that way. And that um, every, and uh, that you, you just need to take responsibility um, every time that you do something that can create a baby, that you should expect that it, that it will and be ready to take uh, that, you know, that into your life. Um, I think, you know, something else she said is, you know, that most women only realize they're, you know, pregnant, that they don't realize they're pregnant at, at six weeks. I just quickly looked that up that actually most women do realize they're pregnant between four and seven weeks. Um, so that most women would know uh, that they're pregnant actually before um, that heartbeat bill goes into effect. But uh, that's not really the right question <laughs> that we should be asking. The, the right question is, you know, regardless of, you know, who realizes what, when is, uh, what, what should the law be in regards to, uh, taking the life of an unborn child and is it morally correct or is it morally wrong? I, I really love what you said about just taking responsibility for that possibility whenever you engage in the act of procreation, um, President Nelson, in a two, talk in 2008, he talked about it and, and made the analogy to an astronaut taking off in a rocket ship. And he said, you know, once you've taken off in that rocket ship, you can't get off. But you have all the choices beforehand during the preparation stages to not jump on the rocket ship. And, um, and that's a choice that you make. So yeah, thank you. I, that was well articulated. Yeah, I thought that Paxton, in her comments, made several of the kind of common arguments that you hear, I think, in the discussion around abortion. And before we started the podcast, we kind of made a list of a few that we wanted to hit on. And one of them, one of the more prominent ones that she made that, that I caught on was this idea of bodily autonomy and that any sort of restriction on abortion is an affront to a woman's bodily autonomy. Now, I believe that this is a fallacious or a bad argument or an accurate argument uh, due to the fact that abortion involves two individuals and two bodies. 
when you perform an abortion, you're doing that on another individual who has different DNA than you. That's, that is completely and totally unique. There's no other DNA like it anywhere else in the world. It's completely different from your body. And so abortion doesn't infringe on your bodily autonomy, but it infringes on the bodily autonomy of the child who's being aborted. And Elder Nelson kind of ex, uh, echoes this argument and or this, this line of thinking in his talk that he gave reverence for life in 1985, when he said, the woman's choice for her own body does not validate choice of the, for the body of another. The expression terminate the pregnancy applies literally only to the woman. The consequence of terminating the fetus therein involves the body and, and very life of another. These two individuals have separate brains, separate hearts, and separate circulatory systems. To pretend that there is no child and no life there and no life there is to deny re, is to deny reality. Scripture declares that the life of the flesh is the blood. Abortion sheds that innocent blood. So, to me, the, this idea that somehow by preventing an abortion, we are taking away your right to make decisions about your own body is wrong because your body is not the body that's getting aborted. Yeah, and I, I think that's really the, the thought that most of us go to when we hear my body, my choice, is we think, actually, there's another body there, and it's not getting a choice in the matter, and it, it certainly doesn't want to die. I'm, you know, <laughs> if, we could, if we could ask the child if it wants to live, uh, most, most living, you know, things want, want to stay alive. Um, that being said, I have heard, you know, people say that that counter argument uh, is not, you know, effective because uh, often women are, are not saying, uh, you know, that there's no body there, that there's no other body being acted upon, but they they believe that because that body, is, that other body is reliant on them for nutrition and for development, uh, for life itself, um, at least until we have artificial wombs, uh, then they'll have to get another argument. But <laughs> um, that uh, they they have the right to to take the life from that thing that is wholly dependent on them. Um, that kind of, you know, spurs off into many different arguments on whether or not um, you are at an obligation to uh, provide uh, for, for somebody uh, who is dependent on you for life. Um, you know, that's certainly the case with children who are already been born, who are, you know, out of the, the mother's womb. Uh, these children are also fully dependent on us. Uh, for life, um, oftentimes well into their teenage years, they they could not survive uh, without without uh, somebody taking care of them. But um, just that that physical attachment, um, you know, adds another layer of the 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 argument. But yeah, that's a, that's definitely another part of the bodily autonomy argument is that you you shouldn't be forced to uh, provide for anything. That the counter argument is that no one's forcing you 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 chose to do that right you you chose the potential for having to provide for that child and keep it alive uh much much earlier right it it's not so much about the freedom of choice because you had 
every freedom of choice, you made that choice and this is what resulted from that. Yeah, and I think the idea that because something is dependent on you have the choice to, to, to cut that off. I mean, for the first years of life after birth, children are completely dependent on you for survival. And as to whether children have any claim on you, the family of the proclamation declares that children are entitled to birth within the bonds of matrimony and to be reared by a father and a mother who honor marital vows with complete fidelity. And so we believe in our theology that children do have a claim on their parents for the necessities of life and that parents do have a duty then to tend and take care of, to nurture their children. And so I think that's another way that the gospel and, and the knowledge that we have as Latter-day Saints responds to some of the, the ideas that are, that are discussed in society. Uh, another argument that you often see is that, especially you can, this gets thrown, I, I think, at, and it is a persuasive argument or a difficult one to respond to sometimes as Latter-day Saints is that, you know, well, we believe in agency. We believe in the freedom of choice. We believe in individual rights. Uh, who are we then to determine or deny a woman her right to make choi a choice in this circumstance? Doesn't that mean that we are anti-agency? Satan was anti-agency, isn't pro-life or denying someone the, the opportunity or quote unquote right to, to an abortion, anti-agency, just like Satan's plan was? How, how do we as Latter-day Saints respond to that, Jeremy? So for me, that question is, it goes back to the law. And the purpose of the law is to protect people's rights. And the rights that we protect specifically are, are the right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to property. Um, and, well, um, let me toss that to Aaron. Do you have any thoughts, Aaron? Well, yeah. I mean, you were kind of addressing it from, you know, a, a secular perspective um, that, uh, you know, we have to protect somebody's right to life so that they have the right to choose, right? That, that these, these uh, rights are, you know, in, in conflict with, with one another. If, um, you know, Jacob is talking at my face and I think what he's saying is abhorrent and I would like him to cease to exist you know, I have the, the right to make a choice in that situation. And, um, you know, I, but if, you know, I choose to incinerate him that, uh, that removes his choice from, from the situation. I can't, I can't do anything, uh, unilaterally to maintain my liberty. You're not, you're not at liberty to take away somebody else's rights to, to live or to continue to, uh, make make choices themselves. So you know, from a natural law perspective, that that makes sense. Um, but also, uh, when you know we talk talk about agency, we also talk about the fact that there are consequences from the choices that we make. Um, you know, going back all the way in in the Bible to uh, where we have uh, Cain and Abel and uh, the situation of, of murder that <laughs> arose. Um, that is something that, that is a choice that God did not condone and uh, that had to be punished uh, by God uh, that, you know, 
that choice to take away somebody else's life, the, the choice to take away, you know, other people's uh, property. Um, those are things that we believe in, in stopping, um, not only in a religious sense, but, you know, in a secular legal uh, sense as well. Yeah, agency has never meant the right to infringe on the rights of others or to deprive someone else of their agency. Um, Thomas Jefferson, from a secular source, talks about rightful liberty is unobstructed action checked by the rights, equal rights of others. Um, in, and we also have general authorities of the church who've talked about how agency is the right to freely act without, so long as you're not infringing on the rights of, of others. And so the concept that you being prevented from killing an innocent child is violating your rights, your freedom to choose, is a complete misunderstanding of what those rights mean. Yes, we do have the right to use force in self-defense of someone who's threatening us with arbitrary, intrusive physical force, but an innocent child is not doing that. And so the, the use of force, which was what abortion is, is a immoral use of violence or immoral use of force. And we know from section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants that governments exist and no government can, can exist in peace except such laws are framed and held inviolate as will secure to each the protection of life. And so while this might, some might say, well, this is big government infringing on my way to live my life or intruding on the most private aspects of my life. Well, government exists to secure rights of all people who are under its jurisdiction. And that per child in your womb is a person and it has rights. And government is as much it, the common agent of that unborn child to secure its rights as it is yours. And so when you take an action that would infringe on its right, its right to life, government is morally justified and is obligated to interfere and to secure the rights of the child. And we, we get, like I said, that that comes from the Doctrine and Covenants, Section 132, and from our understanding that the Founding Fathers and the Declaration of Independence outline for the, the proper role of government and what rights mean when we talk about rights and what freedom is when we talk about liberty. So j just a follow-up to that, it, it makes me think, like, could, you know, these humans really exist that think it's okay to you know, take away somebody else's life in the interest of agency or choice. And, and I think, you know, I, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt um, that, you know, maybe part of the problem is they do not view it as a life, right? They don't view the act of abortion as taking away the life of an innocent child the way that we do. And, and so really that's kind of a, a basis that we need to develop with people as we talk about this, that, um, everything I believe is because I know, I don't just believe, but scientifically I know that that is another living human being and that that human being uh, will never exist again. As you said, that DNA is unique. It's never existed before. That means it's not coming back magically if that life is taken. Um, at least not with, with the same uh, body makeup or DNA. It's not the same person, right? And, and so we, we do need to establish that uh, beforehand. 
Well, I think we've, we've addressed those two arguments pretty well. Um, but what can we as Latter-day Saints who believe in the sanctity of life do to decrease abortions? Um, we, we live in a Roe v. Wade world right now. So to kind of give us our listeners and ourselves a little bit of hope or, or something that we can do about this issue, what is it that we as Latter-day Saints can do about it to decrease abortion? Well, uh, being the uh, director of pro-life Utah, like, like I am, one of the directors, um, I, I would say that we can support women who are in these situations. Um, <clears throat> one, of, one of the, well, it's not really an argument for abortion, but one of the things that comes up often, you know, as I'm having these discussions is that um, I hate women, uh, that I think women who get abortions are, are murderers, and that I think they're, they're going to hell, and I'm just here to condemn them. Well, turns out condemning other people's uh, choices and, and sins um, is not super effective. It doesn't really, you know, provide any uh, value except maybe preventative uh, for other people to not make that choice. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the president of Pro-Life Utah is a post-abortive woman. Um, she is acutely aware of the trauma that women go through uh, from abortion, the, the lies they're told to convince them that abortion is okay. Um, she was not religious growing up, but she was told that, you know, her baby is no bigger than the tip of a ballpoint pen um, at 12 weeks. Uh, if you're familiar with child development, you know that is uh, very, very false. <laughs> at least, at least a, a couple inches and in, in fully formed uh, limbs um, at, at that point. Um, it's definitely a little child. And uh, she realized that when she had her own child and got an ultrasound at 12 weeks. So um, that being said, I am in awe of the women who choose um, to be brave and to save their child from uh, the fate of abortion, uh, which is death. And it's not always easy. Um, it, it's not easy, uh, even if they choose to place for adoption, um, which kind of surprisingly, most of our abortion-minded women don't, don't choose to do. Uh, you, you would think that, you know, they've already chosen that you know, they, it's impossible for them to do this. That's why they're considering abortion. As soon as you take that initial fear away, they actually, most of them, uh, nine times out of 10, choose, choose to keep their child, at least in, in my experience. But, um, you know, uh, adoption's hard because you carried that child, you have the emotional attachment to it. But it is, it is something um, that brings to mind the word heroes. I think the, these women are my heroes. And um, if, we, if we help them financially, um, and emotionally, I think that's the right thing to do. And in terms of what we can do as uh, members of the church, um, I gave a talk uh, on abortion recently. Um, that was the bishop's fault for giving me carte blanche on what I got to, to speak on. I'm like, okay, well, I'm choosing abortion. Anyway, <laughs> um, and I, I just called on everybody to be more understanding and accepting. And you know, we shouldn't 
or at least we should try uh, to not have negative reactions when there is an unwed mother um, who is coming to church. We need to, her to know that she is wanted there, that she is a daughter of God and that we love her. And the, the response shouldn't be what happened. It should be congratulations. You're carrying a child. You're carrying another uh, son or daughter of God. And really, she needs to know what a positive thing that is. While it is going to be very difficult, as any of us parents um, are acutely aware of, um, she needs to be accepted. People need to realize that sins that are outwardly visible are, you know, not necessarily worse than sins that are not visible to, to others. And, and we need uh, to, to bring the sinner in to, to our congregations because uh, we're all sinners and that's why the sacrament exists. We wouldn't be taking the sacrament if we weren't all sinning day after day. <laughs> so um, I guess those, those are my thoughts on it, that we, we need to help each other and we need to reach out and, and love and support and do as much as we can um, to, to help people in these difficult situations because it's a matter of life or death. One of the things, Aaron, that I feel like you mentioned um, in your comments just there, um, you know, say congratulations. It, it's, I almost feel like there's a mindset shift that we could apply even to ourselves and certainly more generally in the church to really value um, children and to understand the eternal value of that, that this idea that it's unfair for women to carry this, you know, this quote unquote burden uh, of childbearing and child rearing um, at its roots, it, it comes down to it's harder for women to participate economically, to earn prestige, to earn money, to participate politically if they're saddled with this burden. And it completely ignores the fact that um, eternal rewards far out, the, the eternal rewards of having children far outweigh um, the mortal rewards of, of making money and, and being popular and, and, going after those worldly things. And even in this life, there's joy that comes out of those relationships that you just can't get any other way. Um, and so if we, can, if we can center that in our own worldview and share that with others, I feel like that could be a, um, one way to combat this kind of this... Um, war on the on the unborn or war on the the innocent as um president nelson talks about it well i'll be the one person to bring politics into it i think that everything you guys said is absolutely true i i don't think that that precludes uh pushing for policies um at our state and federal level that that would change abortion laws but like the concept of limited government puts a greater burden on us as individuals to be more self-reliant and to be and to handle most of the problems in society as we push for policies that limit access to abortion 
I think it, the burden then comes upon us, especially as members of the church, like both of you said, to, to lift the hands that hang down and step in there and create an environment and a society and to have an institution like the church where people don't feel the need to get to have an abortion. Like I shared at the beginning of the podcast, 73% of abortions that are performed are because women feel financially burdened to the point that they can't, they feel like they can't have the baby. Often they're pressured by family members or the father of the child as well. And with the work that the organization I work with, with Let Them Live, a lot of the moms that we work with are being coerced by their family members or by the father of the child to get an abortion. They're getting kicked out of their homes. They're being threatened with this and that if they don't abort the baby. And so we as a society have to step up. We as a church, we as members and neighbors have to, like Aaron said, not judge, but to reach out the heart, the arm of fellowship and love and take that pressure from their take and relieve and lift that burden. Um, if we do that, what happens to Roe, whether Roe v. Wade exists or not, kind of because starts to become irrelevant because we're creating a place where there's no demand. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think that doesn't mean that we shouldn't get rid of Roe v. Wade, but that's the fight. That's the real battle. That's the eternal battle uh, is constantly trying to do our part so that our sisters who are facing anything from financial troubles to the horrors of, of incest and rape don't feel the need to have an abortion. And there's a lot of great ways that we can do that. You can get involved with groups like Pro-Life Utah. You can get involved with groups, with organizations like, like Let Them Live. And then also just in your own community or sometimes just as simple as like what Aaron said, you know, the smile, the embrace, the fellowship, the love that that Christ would have for that individual and, and being an expression of that in our own communities and in our own wards and, and branches. Well, we've had a really good discussion. I really want to thank both Jeremy and especially Aaron for, for coming on tonight to talk about this important issue. Aaron, if individuals in Utah who are listening want to get involved with uh, Pro-Life Utah, where can they, where can they do that and what can they do? So thanks for asking, uh, Jacob. Uh, probably the most effective way to get involved is if you go to prolifeutah.org and you actually would need to scroll down quite a bit. And I give you specific instructions because people won't find it immediately. <laughs> so they'll, they'll give up. But you scroll down past a few videos. Uh, obviously, our uh, website guys volunteer. <laughs> but um, it says stay current on pro-life bills. Uh, something I didn't mention is we also lobby for pro-life legislation, speaking of politics, but uh, that, that will actually uh, get you on our email list, which talks about when we do have our meetings, which are just open to everybody. Uh, you can come on in and do as much as your heart desires. Um, you can be, you know, one of the people in charge of the organization, like, like me, if you so decide out of the blue. And uh, there's another uh, blank that just says receive text notifications. And if you put that in there, we'll, we'll give you alerts when there's you know, pro-life legislation or if we need you to contact your you know, state representative or when we're having um, uh, events to uh, help uh, fundraise uh, for the cause. Um, that, and that, that includes baby showers uh, for the women that we're sponsoring and that we're, that we're helping and finding. Um, so that's, 
probably the the main thing that you can do to get involved. Um, and right on Pro Life Utah, there's a number. It says if you need help, you can call that number. You can also just call that number because it's you know our executive director, Deanna, and uh, it's just a, a 24/7 hotline. But you, you can ask her, um, you know, what ways that you can get involved in the organization uh, and uh, what we need help with. Uh, you know, we have an ultrasound van in front of Planned Parenthood and uh, keeping that staffed with uh, sidewalk advocates to, you know, help direct women uh, for a free ultrasound is something that we've been working on uh, recently. Um, there, there's a lot of different things to do. If you're new to activism or volunteering, uh, rest assured, I uh, just kind of made up my own job and it's worked out fantastically. Um, and uh, you are needed uh, and these babies need you. Thank, thank you, Aaron. And, and like he said, uh, pro-life activism doesn't mean necessarily grabbing a picket sign and going down and, and chanting in front of Planned Parenthood. Um, the most powerful activism we can do is like, like, you, like we've been talking about uh, the Arma Fellowship and, and the different ways that we can serve those around us. Well, for those of you who, who've made it to the end, um, be sure to like and share this episode with uh, on whatever platform you're listening, whether it's YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen. And we really do appreciate uh, your viewership, you being with us, being a part of um, of our organization, part of our podcast. And if you have any comments or suggestions for us, you can leave us a message at fa on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're active on all those platforms. And of course, you can email us directly at latterdayfreeman76 at gmail.com. Uh, for Aaron and for Jeremy, it has been a wonderful night, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>